I'm going to let you all think a bit about questions, and I'm going to get us started. Uh, and uh, I have one question each for you. And uh, feel free to sort of jump in on uh, and feed into each other as well. I want to start with this imagination crisis that you mentioned, and you said you don't really agree that we are in an imagination crisis. But we hear this word a lot. Are we using the crisis, or are we overusing the crisis word as a metaphor? It shows up in migration crisis, climate crisis, and now we have an imagination crisis. What is happening here? <laughs> um, I think it's well-intentioned, because I think it's about trying to persuade us we should actually do something about it. And sometimes framing things as an emergency or a crisis is the only way to get people to take things seriously. I think that's, I mean, that's certainly how it, in terms of climate crisis, I, I know that was an intentional choice in that way for a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of media made that choice to describe, stop talking about climate change and start talking about climate crisis because they're like, well, maybe this is some way, this framing is some way to get somehow make people take it seriously. But I guess if it's overused, then I suppose it loses its power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there is a difference between a crisis... I mean, okay, right, this is... Okay, okay, I remember many years ago when I was at an early... You know, I think probably I was like a bachelor student. I was looking through... There was a, a, a skip, like a dumpster full of books that had been dumped from a, the university library, right? Which is always a you know, sad thing. And there was a book on the top of it that had this kind of cool cover design, very 60s sort of cover design. And it was called Crisis in the Search for Truth. And I was like, Wow. I didn't know that was a crisis. Okay, all right. And I didn't understand it. I think it was probably actually quite a fundamental, quite an important book. Um, but I didn't, I didn't understand what it meant. But I remember thinking, well, okay, that's probably overdoing what, what crisis means. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we should be... But I don't know what else we call it. Yeah, but then, yeah. then I want to put it back to you. Do you think we should call it the convenience crisis? Because that <laughs> is causing us problems, right? Yeah, no, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I think it's uh, fruitful to think around a uh, crisis as well. Yeah. I mean, I've written a book that's called Crisis and Critique, mm. so I don't so want to dismiss <laughs> yeah, yeah. crisis as a problematic notion that we no. shouldn't be using. Uh, but but I also think, I mean, there's um, there's some kind of ambivalence in it as well, like overdoing the um, kind of, like if there's crisis all the time, I mean, it's like, you know, mm. you don't react as strong uh, or whatever, but it's also that the crises that we are experiencing, I mean, they are on multiple levels, so they, why they are all interconnected. That's also why they are everywhere <laughs> around us, um, but they are also at the same time opening up a space to reimagine. And I'm like, in this book, I'm going back to Walter Benjamin and um, the kind of way he's been thinking about crisis to kind of fill the void so that there's also a momentum in this uh, crisis situation of new actors taking stage and imagining solutions to the crisis as well to foster social change and new ways of thinking, for example. So beyond this, you know, discourse of uh, creative destruction or whatever. I think it has some some yeah. uh, potential. No, but that's a great framing because that gives us space to expand. It's an mm. invitation to outsiders to come in and sort of uh, do more of what is needed to be done. Uh, we need more imaginations. Both of you have mentioned in different ways in your talk about who uh, is in the room, who is making the decisions, uh, 
with the seagull you had that and uh, you mentioned in the digital welfare systems people are affected by these welfare systems but they're never in the room to sort of uh, decide on how they are designed. Uh, that brings me to my uh, second point uh, and it was great that you brought in digital frictions and uh, so are we talking about a need for sort of, or are we recognizing that there are good kinds of frictions that help us move forward? Uh, and this strife for convenience, which is basically encoded in the technological uh, companies that run the world, uh, is, are we, are we sort of problematizing that uh, in a way? Um, well, not enough. I okay. would say, <laughs> of course, yeah. that's why we need more research in this yeah. area as well. But uh, what I what I think is uh, kind of problematic is this driving towards the smoothlessness, the mm -hmm. frictionlessness, because it's always based on a certain kind of group yeah. that is experiencing many digital tools as frictionless. Yeah. It's it's easy for the majority in Sweden to navigate the digital welfare state to submit applications and so on, even if it's sometimes tedious and so on. Um, but there are a lot of groups that are left out. And this is like what we can see in these moments of friction that aren't implicated in those infrastructures in the same way. The infrastructures have different consequences for different people. And that's nothing that we resolve with even smoother applications. Yeah. There is always a need for human collaboration, and and this should be at the center stage as well. And where digital tools can support us in the interactions and so yeah. on, but they are not, you know, the uh, general solution. Tools as tools. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on that, Dan? Uh, I th I think there's something there about which came across from your talk, Anna, about the kind of the experience that people have or the way that systems look like or institutions look like from the sort of standpoint of being in them is often I mean you can talk about you know user experience and whatever but mm. like but it's often not really taken from that perspective of what what how do I even imagine this system that I'm in you know if you're in a position where there's something that's effectively you know you're asking for help from a system you're you don't necessarily see what's behind it you imagine there are people making decisions or there are computers making decisions but I think that I think we can do a lot more about that as a way to as a way of addressing kind of frictions almost like looking at well what does it what does the friction look like from the point of view of someone actually in it and I, I don't know, there's a metaphor of... I feel, so I feel that something like Google Street View was actually a quite a fundamental shift in our... Oh, no, it's, this sounds very tech bro. I don't mean this, but like yeah. in this way. But like the idea that we have a thing now where we can sort of... We can see an overview of something and we can also see it from on the ground. Mm. There are lots of other systems where that would be incredible to be able to have that kind of shift between being in different places where you can see actually, oh, I can't see that thing. If I'm here, I can't see that there's all this other stuff here or mm. I can only see this bit. And I think that's something we can do a lot more of in these systems, particularly like public services and kind of mm. welfare systems, like seeing what does it look like if you're in this position? Mm. And I, I don't know, maybe that's... Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking on what you said, are we moving frictions around? Because you said they exist. So essentially what has happened is the friction has been moved away towards the, uh, in the three situations that you said, the people who were waiting and sitting by the computer, they faced tremendous friction in their interaction with these uh, public services. So essentially it was just moved away from the public service onto uh, the people. And mm. we feel like we have designed it out 
mm. uh, for convenience. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, that's the whole, you know, yeah, kind of moving logic shuffling. of the welfare service centers yeah. that I've been hanging out at for the co last couple of months. It's like the help to digital self-help. The people are supposed to be doing everything themselves yeah. and the service workers there, they are just, you know, turning on the computer and just say like, nah, maybe you would like to click there. So, and also these this whole mottos of like, days and do yourself an e-favor yeah. and it is about do it's often e framed as empowering and did like removing uh, intermediaries between the citizens that they have direct access to services and direct access to their own data and so on but it also removes kind of an interface yeah. with the state or it, it changes it's another yeah. interface yeah, it's, it's a technologically mediated yeah. interface it's not the civil servant anymore. Sounds and kind of rude to say, do yourself any favor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's just me. Yeah. Uh, I want to open up for questions. And we have gentlemen at the back. Uh, there are mics around, they'll come to you. Uh, state your name, maybe your affiliation, and ask your question. Uh, thank you, my name is Pash Trembeck. I have an affiliation, but my question comes from my personal opinion. So <laughs> that's it's not important. Okay. My, pr my, my question is for Professor Kaun. Uh, I'd like to thank you because your, uh, your, closing, your closing words about digital tools should not come first resonated with me. A few years ago, I found myself uh, in a meeting with several heads of Swedish government agencies in innovation and other parts. And, and each of them started by saying some variation of we must seize the opportunities of the digital transformation. They were phrased it a little bit differently, but everybody opened with that line. Mm. And it was almost like, uh, what's the English? Catechias. They had to uh, announce their loyalty to this uh, belief mm. in digital transformation. So that is the opposite of looking to the problem first and then choosing tools where digital tools might be one answer. Uh, and I don't know if you have the, the, the solution, but how do we move from the idea of digital transformation as some force of nature or almost religious force to something that is one tool among others? Because we have decades of this ideology mm. being replicated. How, how do we poke holes in that? Yeah, I would um, say... I, I recognize this discourse, of course. I've been also hanging out in like conferences which always start with um, this point. We have to seize um, the opportunities of digital transformation. But don't you think that there's a tech lash at the moment, that the discourse is changing? Um, like if you think of, for example, schools in Sweden now, it's going, it's, the discussion goes in a different direction where um, all the e-books and the digital reading tools should be replaced again with real books. And it's like almost, you know, the opposite. We have to read on proper paper again because the digital tools are destroying our brains and are changing the brain structures and so on. So I think there's also something happening in the public discourse on digitization where it's not quite sure where it's going. Is it going to be a total backlash, banning all digital tools from schools? Probably not. But it's this idea of, you know, flipping it around and 
uh, probably it will will be uh, replacing teachers in in certain situations or there are these ideas of you know recording teachers uh, the instructions and the kids watch it uh, at home the flipped classroom idea but then they work on paper in the classroom and these kind of things so I don't know if we are, probably it's not going to be so hopeful because there are a lot of interests in this area to continue selling digital tools and infrastructures and so on. But I think there is a shift in the discourse and there's a kind of tech clash discernible, but it's just wait and see, I guess, or trying to, you know, hammer out the point over and over again that it's not the digital tool that should be the start point, but, you know, the problems itself and then see it. Yeah. I don't know if you... Dan, did you have any comments on... I or do you have solutions? I thought... <laughs> no, I have solutions. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, this idea of what's inevitable, like this kind of yeah. thing that almost it feels like, oh, of course, this is, like you said, almost having to sort of pledge allegiance to this inevitable, yet nevertheless imaginary kind of sort of concept. And I think that's... Yeah, that is a really interesting thing to explore, is what things do people believe are inevitable just by default? And where has that come from? And what other things like that are we, are we assuming about, about the way we could, way we could do things? But, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, maybe use some metaphors and some of your cards to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Start meetings with those metaphor cards. What if this meeting was a ladder? Uh, next uh, gentleman at the back there. Hey, first, thank you very much for your really nice, really nice talks. And I, I want to add a little bit to to the discussion because I found that really interesting. Um, I'm Thorsten, I'm a UX designer. And I found it really interesting when you, um, Anna, said um, this help to digital self-help. And for me as a UX designer, I really understand this. And I also feel really bad about this because I feel like, hey, how can we get to the point where we build the tools right? And I think this adds also to the discussion you had here because this, okay, is digital good, good or bad? Should we do it digital or not? I would rather like to get to the discussion, how can we build it in a way that it's really useful? Because I think that is the problem, right? So the, the, the digital, the e-books are not designed well enough for us. And that's the problem. I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of this backlash thing. Okay, now we need to get back to books. And, and I love books, I, mm. right? But... So how can we find the, the right compromise, the right way in the middle? And what do you think about this? I mean, it's, it fits so perfect to the, to the zeitgeist, right? That mm. it's, it's black or white, right mm. or wrong. And I mean, the right answer almost often is mm. it's in the middle. How can we get into this? How can we get away from digital is good or bad and we need to, right, to get rid of it or not? What do you think about that? Yeah, I guess, should I start or do, sorry, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, and it's exactly what I wanted to also communicate, that it's not black or white, good or bad. Uh, it's, it's not that we should abandon the idea of good digital services. Uh, and there is, like, the majority in Sweden is happy, you know, with many of the not super happy, I mean, but you know, you can do more in Sweden digitally than in Germany, for example, <laughs> like uh, access uh, authorities and so on. Um, so, but uh, in there will always be groups that will be outside of this smoothness, of the smooth and digital interactions. And this is, is not, the goal shouldn't be uh, 
to get them up to skills because they won't, they will never, because they have certain disabilities, cognitive disabilities and so on. And there's also as there are social aspects, like a lot of people who go to the welfare service centers, they're very lonely. It's the only opportunity for them to interact with people, to have a chat in the waiting area and with the, with the service worker and so on. So it's also um, abandoning the idea uh, of this total smoothness, smoothness for, for, for um, all in a way, but to, uh, to go into these places and look into what are the problems and the frictions that we probably never can fully digitize away. Uh, but how can we support these kind of communities? Also with digital tools that might be slightly different, but you know, not the kind of standard, uh, this one size fits all, whatever. But it's also, and also then for, for the caseworkers, there's a lot of knowledge and embodied knowledge and experience of over many, many years. And now they, it's not about their institutional knowledge anymore, about the welfare system in Sweden that's necessary, but it's like how to navigate digital platforms. That's what they've become, where they also feel de-skilled in, in what they've been learning and also their ethos as civil servants because they consider themselves as a mediator between state and citizens so they have a democratic function um, so it's these kind of aspects and i think the frictions make them visible and it's not to try to smoothen out and get rid of the frictions but in some points also appreciate them and kind of preserve them because they make experiences kind of stick with us mm. i don't know uh any other questions in the room? It's also red on the screen. Ah, we have time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have time. Then I'm going to ask the next question because I'm really curious. How do we go from, how did we go from imagining uh, our institutions? Uh, I mean, no one starts with an imagination that says, you know what, we're going to make a disastrous system that's going to make life difficult for the elderly. They always say, like, we're going to make it beautiful for the elderly. It's going to be amazing. How do we get from there to there? <laughs> what happened in the middle? What are we missing? Uh, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right now I'm here. <laughs> Dan, this is for uh, you. Yeah, okay, uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I mean, that's kind of like, why is everything bad? No, it's, yeah. not, no, it's not everything bad, but I mean... No, but I mean, most things... I, 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 Let me reframe yeah. that, because I'm not asking uh, what did we do yeah. wrong. It's more like, yeah. how can we ensure that yeah. now, when we build our next system, tomorrow, we are all going to go back to work, not tomorrow, day after. I mean, <laughs> I'm, ca I'm cautious about the idea of building systems, right? Because I think that they're mm. so intertwined with... You can't really plan a functioning... I mean, I, okay, it was a book... Um, uh, general systematics. I'm sure some of you come across this, right? It was called this, republishes like the systems Bible in the 70s. That's a whole stream yeah. of ironic sort of rules about systems, which is which are funny, but they're also very true, right? And a lot of them are like that, you know, the, the moment you start to try to plan some system in its entirety, that's that like that planning causes the system no longer to function in a way, right? If and you so see I think the future, we should. You are not. Yeah, like and the future's different now. Well, exactly right. But the act, of, yeah, the act of you creating the system yeah. changes the state that the world was in before. 
And if you get to a point where people's all their expertise about their knowledge of how to do their job is replaced by having to fill in drop-down boxes which don't necessarily match their imaginary of the reality behind it or their mental model, then you, you lose a lot of that and the system's no longer the same. But yeah, it now becomes about who's most efficient at explaining the, the form rather than the actual content behind it. So I, I kind of think we should keep things flexible and open as we try to we can only ever modify parts of systems we can't really ever plan the whole thing and where you draw the boundary makes a big difference you know if you see this thing as an isolated oh we're just going to fix this and everything will be perfect the fact that whatever systems in sort of public sector things you're doing or, or you know any 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 of these systems involve so many other aspects of society that they involve history they involved you know involve so many other aspects of things that you can't just draw a boundary and say oh well you know, we planned it well, so why doesn't why doesn't everything work? I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's not a good answer, but it's something. But that's a start. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give all of you a last chance to ask a question. Yes. Uh, wait for the mic. Uh, I'm curious because we mentioned the demographic group, the elders, for example, but uh, you'll notice as well, like some of the youngsters, my generation, or like even people in their 20s sometimes feel a bit crippled with technology or not using it right. So is there any defined other groups that should be taken in consideration when designing digital communication or platforms or websites? Thank you. Who wants okay. to take it? Yeah. I mean... I, yeah, I guess we should, I mean, everyone should be considered in in the design of systems. I mean, I think we, at any point when we sort of presume that some group of people will all use it in the same way or will all have the same understanding, I think that's that's a risky situation. And it might be that there's an intersection of different, of different situations or different needs. It might be that, you know, th these things are not only this or that and, and that actually people are, people have many layers of, of experience of 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 other things uh, other things going on that that mean it. I mean, I, yeah, and I think it's it's risky to assume that any people in any group will all think the same way or act the same way. And their previous experiences of systems that they've had encounter do affect how they approach approach something new. And I I think those though often that yeah that kind of inter intersectionality is important. And we don't. I mean, some designers consider it, but it's, it definitely comes into some aspects of inclusive design, I think, but not perhaps as clearly as it could do. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that more in the coming sessions and tomorrow as well. So I think we're going to scratch that a bit more. And that brings us to what everyone's been waiting for. It's time for lunch. <laughs> uh, <laughs>